Chapter Twelve of Doctor Thorne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Doctor Thorne by Anthony Trollope. Chapter Twelve. When Greek meets Greek, then comes the tug of war. The doctor, that is our doctor, had thought nothing more of the message which had been sent to that other doctor, Doctor Filgrave. Nor, in truth, did the baronet. Lady Scatcherd had thought of it, but her husband, during the rest of the day, was not in a humour which allowed her to remind him that he would soon have a new physician on his hands. So she left the difficulty to arrange itself, waiting in some little trepidation till Dr. Filgrave should show himself. It was well that Sir Roger was not dying for want of his assistance, for when the message reached Barchester, Dr. Filgrave was some five or six miles out of town at Plumstead and as he did not get back till late in the evening, he felt himself necessitated to put off his visit to Boxall Hill till next morning. Had he chanced to have been made acquainted with that little conversation about the pump, he would probably have postponed it even yet a little while longer. He was, however, by no means sorry to be summoned to the bedside of Sir Roger Scatcherd, it was well known at Barchester, and very well known to Dr. Filgrave, that Sir Roger and Dr. Thorne were old friends. It was very well known to him also, that Sir Roger, in all his bodily ailments, had hitherto been contented to entrust his safety to the skill of his old friend. Sir Roger was in his way a great man, and much talked of in Barchester, and rumour had already reached the ears of the Barchester Galen, that the great railway contractor was ill. When, therefore, he received a peremptory summons to go over to Boxall Hill, he could not but think that some pure light had broken in upon Sir Roger's darkness, and had taught him at last where to look for true medical accomplishment. And then, also, Sir Roger was the richest man in the county, and to county practitioners a new patient with large means is a godsend. How much greater a godsend when he be not only acquired, but taken also from some rival practitioner, need hardly be explained. Dr. Filgrave, therefore, was somewhat elated when, after a very early breakfast, he stepped into the post-chaise which was to carry him to Boxall Hill. Dr. Filgrave's professional advancement had been sufficient to justify the establishment of a brougham, in which he paid his ordinary visits round Barchester, but this was a special occasion, requiring special speed, and about to produce no doubt a special guerdon, and therefore a pair of post-horses were put into request. It was hardly yet nine when the post-boy somewhat loudly rang the bell at Sir Roger's door, and then Dr. Filgrave, for the first time, found himself in the new grand hall of Boxall Hill House. "'I'll tell my lady,' said the servant, showing him into the grand dining-room, and there, for some fifteen or twenty minutes, Dr. Filgrave walked up and down the length of the turkey carpet, all alone. Dr. Filgrave was not a tall man, and was perhaps rather more inclined to corpulence than became his height. In his stocking feet, according to the usually received style of measurement, he was five feet five, and he had a little round abdominal protuberance, which an inch and a half added to the heels of his boots hardly enabled him to carry off as well as he himself would have wished. Of this he was apparently conscious, and it gave to him an air of not being entirely at his ease. 
There was, however, a personal dignity in his demeanour, a propriety in his gait, and an air of authority in his gestures, which should prohibit one from stigmatising those effects at altitude as a failure. No doubt he did achieve much, but nevertheless the effort would occasionally betray itself, and the story of the frog and the ox would irresistibly force itself into one's mind at those moments, when it most behooved Dr. Filgrave to be magnificent. But if the bulgy roundness of his person, and the shortness of his legs, in any way detracted from his personal importance, these trifling defects were, he was well aware, more than atoned for by the peculiar dignity of his countenance. If his legs were short, his face was not. If there was any undue preponderance below the waistcoat, all was in due symmetry above the necktie. His hair was grey, not grizzled nor white, but properly grey, and stood up straight from off his temples on each side with an unbending determination of purpose. His whiskers, which were of an admirable shape, coming down and turning gracefully at the angle of his jaw, were grey also, but somewhat darker than his hair. His enemies in Barchester declared that their perfect shade was produced by a leaden comb. His eyes were not brilliant, but were very effective, and well under command. He was rather short-sighted, and a pair of eyeglasses was always on his nose, or in his hand. His nose was long and well pronounced, and his chin also was sufficiently prominent, but the great feature of his face was his mouth. The amount of secret medical knowledge of which he could give assurance by the pressure of those lips was truly wonderful. By his lips also he could be most exquisitely courteous, or most sternly forbidding, and not only could he be either the one or the other, but he could at his will assume any shade of difference between the two, and produce any mixture of sentiment. When Dr. Filgrave was first shown into Sir Roger's dining-room, he walked up and down the room for a while with easy, jaunty step, with his hands joined together behind his back, calculating the price of the furniture, and counting the heads which might be adequately entertained in a room of such noble proportions. But in seven or eight minutes an air of impatience might have been seen to suffuse his face. Why could he not be shown into the sick man's room? What necessity could there be for keeping him there, as though he were some apothecary with a box of leeches in his pocket? He then rang the bell, perhaps a little violently. "'Does Sir Roger know that I am here?' he said to the servant. "'I'll tell my lady,' said the man, again vanishing. For five minutes more he walked up and down, calculating no longer the value of the furniture, but rather that of his own importance. He was not wont to be kept waiting in this way, and though Sir Roger Scatcherd was at present a great and rich man, Dr. Filgrave had remembered him a very small and very poor man. He now began to think of Sir Roger as the stonemason, and to chafe somewhat more violently at being so kept by such a man. When one is impatient, five minutes is as the duration of all time, and a quarter of an hour is eternity. At the end of twenty minutes the step of Dr. Filgrave up and down the room had become very quick, and he had just made up his mind that he would not stay there all day, to the serious detriment, perhaps fatal injury, of his other expectant patients. His hand was again on the bell, and was about to be used with vigour, when the door opened and Lady Scatcherd entered. 
The door opened, and Lady Scatcherd entered, but she did so very slowly, as though she were afraid to come into her own dining-room. We must go back a little, and see how she had been employed during those twenty minutes. "'Oh, laws!' such had been her first exclamation on hearing that the doctor was in the dining-room. She was standing at that time with her housekeeper in a small room in which she kept her linen and jam, and in which, in company with the same housekeeper, she spent the happiest moments of her life. "'Oh, laws! Now, Hannah, what shall we do?' "'Send it up at once to master, my lady. Let John take it up.' "'There'll be such a row in the house, Hannah. I know there will.' "'But surely didn't he send for un? Let the master have the row himself, then. That's what I'd do, my lady,' added Hannah, seeing that her ladyship still stood trembling, no doubt, biting her thumbnail. "'You couldn't go up to the master yourself, could you now, Hannah?' said Lady Scatcherd, in her most persuasive tone. "'Why, no,' said Hannah, after a little deliberation. "'No, I'm afeard I couldn't.' then I must just face it myself. And up went the wife to tell her lord that the physician for whom he had sent had come to attend his bidding. In the interview which then took place, the baronet had not indeed been violent, but he had been very determined. Nothing on earth, he said, should induce him to see Dr. Filgrave and offend his dear old friend, Dr. Thorne. But Roger, said her ladyship, half crying, or rather pretending to cry in her vexation, what shall I do with the man? How shall I get him out of the house? Put him under the pump, said the baronet, and he laughed his peculiar low guttural laugh, which told so plainly of the havoc which Brandy had made in his throat. That's nonsense, Roger. You know I can't put him under the pump. Now you are ill, and you'd better see him just for five minutes. I'll make it all right with Dr. Thorne. I'll be d if I do, my lady. All the people about Boxall Hill called poor Lady Scatcherd, my lady, as if there was some excellent joke in it, and so indeed there was. "'You know you needn't mind nothing he says, nor take nothing he sends, and I'll tell him not to come no more. Now do ye see him, Roger?' But there was no coaxing Roger now, or indeed ever. He was a willful, headstrong, masterful man, a tyrant, though never a cruel one, and accustomed to rule his wife and household as despotically as he did his gangs of workmen. Such men it is not easy to coax over. "'You go down and tell him I don't want him, and I won't see him, and that's the end of it. If he chose to earn his money, why didn't he come yesterday when he was sent for? I'm well now, and don't want him, and what's more, I won't have him. Winterbones, lock the door!' So Winterbones, who during this interview had been at work at his little table, got up to lock the door, and Lady Scatcherd had no alternative but to pass through it before the last edict was obeyed. Lady Scatcherd, with slow step, went downstairs, and again sought counsel with Hannah, and the two, putting their heads together, agreed that the only cure for the present evil was to be found in a handsome fee. So Lady Scatcherd, with a five-pound note in her hand, and trembling in every limb, went forth to encounter the august presence of Dr. Filgrave. As the door opened, Dr. Filgrave dropped the bell-rope which was in his hand, and bowed low to the lady. Those who knew the doctor well would have known from his bow that he was not well pleased. It was as much as though he said, Lady Scatcherd, I am your most obedient humble servant, at any rate it appears that it is your pleasure to treat me as such. 
Lady Scatcherd did not understand all this, but she perceived at once that the man was angry. "'I hope Sir Roger does not find himself worse,' said the doctor. "'The morning is getting on. Shall I step up and see him?' <clears throat> Why, you see, Dr. Filgrave, Sir Roger finds himself vastly better this morning, vastly so. I am very glad to hear it, but as the morning is getting on, shall I step up to see Sir Roger? Why, Dr. Filgrave, sir, you see, he finds himself so much himself this morning that he almost thinks it would be a shame to trouble you. A shame to trouble me? This was the sort of shame which Dr. Filgrave did not at all comprehend. A shame to trouble me? Why, Lady Scatcherd! Lady Scatcherd saw that she had nothing for it but to make the whole matter intelligible. Moreover, seeing that she appreciated more thoroughly the smallness of Dr. Fildgrave's person than she did the peculiar greatness of his demeanour, she began to be a shade less afraid of him than she had thought she should have been. Yes, Dr. Filgrave, you see, when a man like he gets well, he can't abide the idea of doctors. Now yesterday he was all for sending for you, but to-day he comes to hisself, and he don't seem to want no doctor at all. Then did Dr. Filgrave seem to grow out of his boots, so suddenly did he take upon himself sundry modes of expansive attitude to grow out of his boots and to swell upwards till his angry eyes almost looked down on Lady Scatcherd, and each erect hair bristled up towards the heavens. This is very singular, very singular, Lady Scatcherd, very singular indeed, very singular, quite unusual. I have come here from Barchester at some considerable inconvenience, at some very considerable inconvenience, I may say, to my regular patients, and, 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 I don't know that anything so very singular ever occurred to me before. And then Dr. Filgrave, with a compression of his lips which almost made the poor woman sink into the ground, moved towards the door. Then Lady Scatcherd bethought her of her great panacea. It isn't about the money, you know, doctor, said she. Of course, Sir Roger, don't expect you to come here with post-horses for nothing. In this, by the by, Lady Scatcherd did not stick quite close to veracity, for Sir Roger, had he known it, would by no means have assented to any payment, and the note which her ladyship held in her hand was taken from her own private purse. It ain't at all about the money, doctor. And then she tendered the banknote, which she thought would immediately make all things smooth. Now, Dr. Filgrave dearly loved a five-pound fee. What physician is so unnatural as not to love it? He dearly loved a five-pound fee, but he loved his dignity better. He was angry also, and like all angry men, he loved his grievance. He felt that he had been badly treated, but if he took the money he would throw away his right to indulge in any such feeling. At that moment his outraged dignity and his cherished anger were worth more than a five-pound note. He looked at it with wishful but still averted eyes, and then sternly refused the tender. "'No, madam,' said he, "'no, no,' and with his right hand raised with his eyeglasses in it, he motioned away the tempting paper. "'No, I should have been happy to have given Sir Roger the benefit of any medical skill I may have, seeing that I was specially called in.' "'But, doctor, if the man's well, you know—' Oh, of course, if he's well, and does not choose to see me, there's an end of it. Should he have any relapse, as my time is valuable, he will perhaps oblige me by sending elsewhere. Madam, good morning. 
I will, if you will allow me, ring for my carriage, that is, post-chaise. But, doctor, you'll take the money, you must take the money, indeed you'll take the money, said Lady Scatcherd, who had now become really unhappy at the idea that her husband's unpardonable whim had brought this man with post-horses all the way from Barchester, and that he was to be paid nothing for his time nor costs. No, madam, no, I could not think of it. Sir Roger, I have no doubt, will know better another time. It is not a question of money, not at all. But it is a question of money, doctor, and you really shall, you must. And poor Lady Scatcherd, in her anxiety to acquit herself at any rate of any pecuniary debt to the doctor, came to personal close quarters with him, with the view of forcing the note into his hands. "'Quite impossible, quite impossible,' said the doctor, still cherishing his grievance, and valiantly rejecting the root of all evil. "'I shall not do anything of the kind, Lady Scatcherd.' "'Now, doctor, do ye, to oblige me?' "'Quite out of the question.' And so, with his hands and hat behind his back, in token of his utter refusal to accept any pecuniary accommodation of his injury, he made his way backwards to the door, her ladyship perseveringly pressing him in front. So eager had been the attack on him that he had not waited to give his order about the post-chaise, but made his way at once towards the hall. "'Now, do ee take it, do ee?' pressed Lady Scatcherd. "'Utterly out of the question,' said Dr. Filgrave, with great deliberation, as he backed his way into the hall. As he did so, of course, he turned round, and he found himself almost in the arms of Dr. Thorne. As Burley must have glared at Bothwell, when they rushed together in the dread encounter on the mountainside, as Achilles may have glared at Hector when at last they met, each resolved to test in fatal conflict the prowess of the other, so did Dr. Filgrave glare at his foe from Greshamsbury, when, on turning round on his exalted heel, he found his nose on a level with the top button of Dr. Thorne's waistcoat. And here, if it be not too tedious, let us pause a while to recapitulate and add up the undoubted grievances of the Barchester practitioner. He had made no effort to ingratiate himself into the sheepfold of that other shepherd-dog. It was not by his seeking that he was now at Boxall Hill. Much as he hated Dr. Thorne, full sure as he felt of that man's utter ignorance, of his incapacity to administer properly even a black dose, of his murdering propensities and his low, mean, unprofessional style of practice, nevertheless he had done nothing to undermine him with these scatcherds. Dr. Thorne might have sent every mother's son at Boxall Hill to his log account, and Dr. Filgrave would not have interfered, would not have interfered unless specially and duly called upon to do so. But he had been specially and duly called on. Before such a step was taken, some words must undoubtedly have passed on the subject between Thorne and the Scatcherds. Thorne must have known what was to be done. Having been so called, Dr. Filgrave had come, had come all the way in a post-chaise, had been refused admittance to the sick man's room, on the plea that the sick man was no longer sick, and just as he was about to retire fee-less, for the want of the fee was not the less a grievance from the fact of its having been tendered and refused, fee-less, dishonoured, and in dudgeon, he encountered this other doctor, this very rival whom he had been sent to supplant, he encountered him in the very act of going into the sick man's room. 
What mad fanatic Burley, what God-suckered insolent Achilles, ever had such cause to swell with wrath as at that moment had Dr. Filgrave? Had I the pen of Molière, I could fitly tell of such medical anger, but with no other pen can it be fitly told. He did swell, and when the huge bulk of his wrath was added to his natural proportions, he loomed gigantic before the eyes of the surrounding followers of Sir Roger. Dr. Thorne stepped back three steps, and took his hat from his head, having in the passage from the hall door to the dining-room hitherto omitted to do so. It must be borne in mind that he had no conception whatever that Sir Roger had declined to see the physician for whom he had sent, none whatever that the physician was now about to return feeless to Barchester. Dr. Thorne and Dr. Filgrave were doubtless well-known enemies. All the world of Barchester, and all that portion of the world of London, which is concerned with the lancet and the scalping-knife, were well aware of this. They were continually writing against each other, continually speaking against each other, but yet they had never hitherto come to that positive personal collision which is held to justify a cut direct. They very rarely saw each other, and when they did meet it was in some casual way in the streets of Barchester or elsewhere, and on such occasions their habit had been to bow with very cold propriety. On the present occasion Dr. Thorne of course felt that Dr. Filgrave had the whip-hand of him, and with a sort of manly feeling on such a point he conceived it to be most compatible with his own dignity to show, under such circumstances, more than his usual courtesy, something perhaps amounting almost to cordiality. He had been supplanted, quoad doctor, in the house of this rich, eccentric railway baronet, and he would show that he bore no malice on that account. So he smiled blandly as he took off his hat, and in a civil speech he expressed a hope that Dr. Filgrave had not found his patient to be in any very unfavourable state. Here was an aggravation to the already lacerated feelings of the injured man. He had been brought thither to be scoffed at and scorned at, that he might be a laughing-stock to his enemies, and food for mirth to the vile-minded. He swelled with noble anger till he would have burst, had it not been for the opportune padding of his frock-coat. "'Sir,' said he, "'sir,' and he could hardly get his lips open to give vent to the tumult of his heart. Perhaps he was not wrong, for it may be that his lips were more eloquent than would have been his words. "'What's the matter?' said Dr. Thorne, opening his eyes wide, and addressing Lady Scatcherd over the head and across the hairs of the irritated man below him. "'What on earth is the matter? Is anything wrong with Sir Roger?' "'Oh, laws, doctor,' said her ladyship. "'Oh, laws, I'm sure it ain't my fault. Here's Dr. Filgrave in a taking, and I'm quite ready to pay him, quite. If a man gets paid, what more can he want?' And she again held out the five-pound note over Dr. Filgrave's head. "'What more, indeed, Lady Scatcherd, can any of us want, if only we could keep our tempers and feelings a little in abeyance?' Dr. Filgrave, however, could not so keep his, and therefore he did want something more, though at the present moment he could hardly have said what. Lady Scatcherd's courage was somewhat resuscitated by the presence of her ancient trusty ally, and moreover she began to conceive that the little man before her was unreasonable beyond all conscience in his anger, seeing that that for which he was ready to work had been offered to him without any work at all. 
Madam, said he, again turning round at Lady Scatcherd, I was never before treated in such a way in any house in Barchester. Never, never. Good heavens, Dr. Filgrave, said he of Greshamsbury, what is the matter? I'll let you know what is the matter, sir, said he, turning round as quickly as before. I'll let you know what is the matter. I'll publish this, sir, to the medical world. And as he shrieked out the words of the threat, he stood on tiptoes and brandished his eyeglasses almost up to his enemy's face. Don't be angry with Dr. Thorne, said Lady Scatcherd. Anyways, you needn't be angry with him. If you must be angry with anybody— I shall be angry with him, madam, ejaculated Dr. Filgrave, making another sudden demi-pirouette. I am angry with him, or rather, I despise him. And completing the circle, Dr. Filgrave again brought himself round in full front of his foe. Dr. Thorne raised his eyebrows and looked inquiringly at Lady Scatcherd but there was a quiet sarcastic motion round his mouth, which by no means had the effect of throwing oil on the troubled waters. "'I'll publish the whole of this transaction to the medical world, Dr. Thorne, the whole of it, and if that has not the effect of rescuing the people of Gresshamsbury out of your hand, then—then—then—then I don't know what will. Is my carriage—that is, the post-chaise there?' And Dr. Filgrave, speaking very loudly, turned majestically to one of the servants. "'What have I done to you, Dr. Filgrave?' said Dr. Thorne, now absolutely laughing. "'That you should be determined to take my bread out of my mouth? I am not interfering with your patient. I have come here simply with reference to money matters appertaining to Sir Roger.' "'Money matters. Very well, very well. Money matters. That is your idea of medical practice. Very well, very well. Is my post-chaise at the door?' I'll publish it all to the medical world, every word, every word of it, every word of it. Publish what, you unreasonable man? Man, sir, whom do you call a man? I'll let you know whether I'm a man. Post-chaise there. Don't he call him names now, doctor, don't he, pray, don't he, said Lady Scatcherd. By this time they had all got somewhere nearer the hall door but the Scatcherd retainers were too fond of the row to absent themselves willingly at Dr. Filgrave's bidding, and it did not appear that any one went in search of the post-chaise. "'Man, sir, I'll let you know what it is to speak to me in that style. I think, sir, you hardly know who I am.' "'All that I know of you at present is that you are my friend Sir Roger's physician, and I cannot conceive what has occurred to make you so angry.' and as he spoke dr thorne looked carefully at him to see whether that pump discipline had in truth been applied my post-chaise is my post-chaise there the medical world shall know all you may be sure sir the medical world shall know it all and thus ordering his post-chaise and threatening dr thorne with the medical world dr filgrave made his way to the door but the moment he put on his hat he returned no madam said he no, it is quite out of the question. Such an affair is not to be arranged by such means. I'll publish it all to the medical world. Post-chaise there. And then, using all his force, he flung as far as he could into the hall a light bit of paper. It fell at Dr. Thorne's feet, who, raising it, found that it was a five-pound note. I put it into his hat just when he was in his tantrum, said Lady Scatcherd, and I thought that perhaps he would not find it till he got to Barchester. Well, I wish he'd been paid, certainly, although Sir Roger wouldn't see him. 
and in this manner Dr. Thorne got some glimpse of understanding into the cause of the great offence. "'I wonder whether Sir Roger will see me,' said he, laughing. End of chapter 12